Welcome. Uh, Chase said, I'm the youth pastor. That's pretty cool. And somebody goes, I guess. <laughs> that, was, that, was that was amazing. <laughs> I don't know if everybody heard it, but I heard it and thought it was really funny. So, um, anywho, welcome. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, get to share this morning. I'm excited to see many of you back even after last week's uh, sex talk, which is... That's good news. You came back, uh, which I thought maybe there might be a thinning of the herd. Um, but the good thing is you came back for one uh, equally as difficult. So this week, uh, we're going to hit the next passage in the Sermon on the Mount uh, about divorce. So if it's your first time here, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Um, baby dedication, folks. Great to see you. <laughs> uh, this, it's, I love that Greg Dewey decided to be in Hawaii this week, of all other things, instead of preaching. So um, it's me. So here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to read the relevant passages of Scripture, and then we're going to pray. And then uh, I'm going to keep praying even while I'm talking, and uh, hopefully you do the same. But if, if you join me, I'm just going to run through these texts and uh, one of the things that we've just committed to do is to walk through the Sermon on the Mount and not skip anything, but deal with the commands and teachings of Jesus. So he goes on after the passage about lust and says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. He's quoting Moses out of Deuteronomy. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Here's the passage from Deuteronomy that Jesus is literally quoting. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if he then finds no favor in his, if she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and send her out, uh, sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends it out of her house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then the former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord God, your God is giving you for an inheritance. So Moses here is dealing with one specific thing, but he's describing the process by which the Israelites went about divorce. Jesus actually addresses this again in Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus answers, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. They are no longer two but one flesh, therefore what God has joined together let no one separate why then, they asked, did Moses command uh, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replies, replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries a woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between husband and wife, it is better not to marry. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul says this, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. 
And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Malachi 2. This is God speaking. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and covering one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless. Let's pray. God, this morning we just ask for your presence to be in this room. We know that you are already here. We've, we've, we've felt your presence through worship. We've lifted you up. We've honored you with our lips from our hearts. And now as we open your word, we pray that you would illuminate it by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would be your disciples, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come today and comfort and guide and teach and convict in the ways that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's take a deep breath. (laughs) It's extremely delicate, yet a really important topic. It's something we can't avoid because Jesus talked about it. So we have to consider what it looks like to remain faithful to the teachings of Jesus and the scripture in regards to marriage and divorce. We have to allow the bare and unfiltered words of Jesus to fall heavy on our hearts. Not a heaviness to crush, but a, a weightiness, right? of the cost of following Jesus. We have to allow that to press upon us. Now, here's what I know. I know that everyone in here is not going to agree about this topic. You're not gonna agree with me. You might not agree with the person sitting next to you. Some of you are gonna say this morning that I'm gonna go too far, and some of you are gonna say this morning that I didn't go far enough. Some of you are gonna say that I said too much, and some are gonna say that I said too little about certain things, and we only have a certain amount of time. So I ask for grace from you this morning as we process through this. Uh, really complex thing. Um, But I think we can actually gain some clarity as a community about what God is up to as we look through this. So we ended pretty heavy there. It says clearly that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. But it's interesting because God also records his own divorce in Scripture in Jeremiah 3. He says, for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. God describes himself as a divorcee. Isn't that fascinating? God says, I was in a marriage with Israel, and I actually had to send her away because she was faithless to him. So it's altogether true that God hates divorce, but also that he neither hates all divorce in the same way, nor hates every aspect of divorce. But he hates divorce because divorce is always occasioned by someone's sin. Apart from sin, there would be no divorce. He hates the results of divorce. He hates the brokenness that flows to children, to the parties involved, and to the community who surrounds it. He hates divorce, and he didn't institute it. And he acknowledges, and I think all of us do too, that it's an awful and painful process. C.S. Lewis described it this way. I can't remember if I put it on here. I did. He says, I mean, churches all regard divorce as something like cutting up a living body, as a kind of surgical operation. Some of them think the operation so violent that it cannot be done at all. Others admit it as a desperate remedy in extreme cases. 
They are all agreed that it is more like having both your legs cut off than it is like dissolving a business partnership or even deserting a regiment. What they all disagree with is the modern view that it is a simple readjustment of partners to be made whenever people feel they are no longer in love with one another or when either of them falls in love with someone else. In the, in the light of this quote, I, I want us to like, take this topic with the utmost seriousness, but also with gentleness and wisdom under the tutelage of the Holy Spirit. So just like we would enter surgery as a surgeon, let's wash ourselves of outside opinions, of judgments. Let's rid ourselves of distractions and allow the space this morning for God to teach us his way. Let's consider this morning our brothers and sisters who have walked this devastating path, who are in this room with compassion and mercy. We should treat them like those who are going through recovery or coming right out of surgery. Right? When somebody comes out of surgery, you don't deal with them with a heavy hand. You care for them. You dress their wounds. You speak softly to them. You care for them. You don't expect them to go to physical therapy the day after. Right? It's like you rest for a while. So I want to deal with this this morning, the heart behind the passage, deal with the reality, the issue of marriage from a biblical perspective, what is divorce, and most of all, I, I really want to answer some questions for those who are divorced this morning, and I want to challenge all of us on how we view these things. It's interesting because most of us, I think, if you've grown up in church, you've heard divorce talked about with like really apocalyptic warnings, and I think because we know it's so hurtful, and difficult, we want to spare everyone the pain, and so we come like really heavy with what happens if you get divorced. And in many times, I think in an effort to do the right things, um, our words and our teachings have actually outstripped what God has commanded. I think in many ways, I think we've added, in our warnings, we've actually added words to God's words, and in doing so, we've injured many. We've increased the pain unnecessarily, and I think in many ways, we've actually grieved the heart of God. And so we see on one side that God hates divorce, and yet, even though God hates divorce because there's sin behind every divorce, not every divorce is sinful. I want you to hear that. Not every divorce is sinful. The, the, the concept of divorce is biblical. And I know that might, might be radically shocking to you, so on the one hand, God hates divorce. On the other hand, divorce is in the Bible. The Bible recognizes and regulates divorce. Certain provisions are made for it, which means that we as followers of Jesus would do well as students of his word to understand and teach what is actually in God's word. And our task is to apply to actual cases what the scriptural principles are regarding divorce. And I know for us uh, who, who grew up in, in systems of belief where, where divorce was just roundly and persistently condemned and denounced, it's hard for us to, to reconcile that. And even this week as I read this, as I studied, as I prayed, God was, was really working in my heart repentance and closing the gap about how I have spoken about this, how I've thought about it, how I've treated people who have walked through it. I had to like do some work with God on these things. So, let's start with the fact that the Bible is neither silent on the subject of divorce, nor does it always, under all circumstances, for everyone condemn it. I'm going to read that again. The Bible is not silent on it, nor does it always, under all circumstances, for everyone condemn divorce. And our attitude toward divorce is really important because divorce includes people, and God 
cares desperately about people. So our attitude towards this is really important because this isn't just an idea. This is about real life people and their lives. And interestingly enough, when God describes himself as a divorced person, we are actually thinking about God in the same way. So again, some of us grew up in systems where, where divorce was the unpardonable sin. And if you got divorced, you, you got slapped with a big fat scarlet letter D. And, and it became a descriptor, an adjective about your life. And I, I just want to say that is so unfair and unbiblical. You know why? Because the love keeps no record of wrongs. We don't describe people by their most difficult, painful, sinful moment. We see people in light of the cross. And so what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that divorce that's been wrongfully or sinfully obtained must be excused for what it is. The Bible clearly says that is sin. And it's clear that it's sin by the effects, right? The, the, the fruit of the tree matches what the tree is. And so when divorce is wrongfully obtained, when it's sinful, it's clearly seen in its effects, but, 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 the gospel includes this giant but in the middle of it. Because it's sin, precisely because it's sin, it is forgivable. No amen on that? Where you at? Come on. If it is sin, it's forgivable, right? Like that's why Jesus came, is to forgive sin. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to find sinners in their sin and redeem them, right? So in some ways, like in Christians, like we have to, to really um, reform our view of grace when it comes to marriage. Somehow we see like grace abounds in every way except for in this one, and it's just not true. Now this is, I have to use a Greg Dewey term, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? <laughs> Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying let's throw ourselves into a free-for-all and tolerate divorce in every instance uh, of a marriage being split apart. What I'm saying is we must believe in and practice the way of Jesus and the teachings of Scripture. And when what we have been teaching or saying goes beyond the teachings of Scripture, we have to restore ourselves back to it. And this morning, I want to urge a biblical attitude toward this. And I want to challenge you, if you have participated in the perpetuation of divorce as an unpardonable sin, I'm going to call you this morning to repent. If you have wrongly judged people, ostracized them, gossiped about them, described them in ways that Jesus doesn't, I want to challenge you this morning to meet Jesus on his terms. And repent. So some of us might need to schedule a coffee this week or make a phone call or not take communion at the end of the service before we go and make it right with somebody that we have injured because they went through a really painful process um, and we dealt with it poorly as the church. So here's what I believe. I believe that divorce that has no biblical grounds can be forgiven, right? And the parties can be restored to God and to the fellowship with the body. Um, and even when it is on biblical grounds, it's misery and it's hurtful and it sucks and God hates it but God doesn't hate divorcees God does not hate people to the opposite if you've been divorced you are actually the unique and special object of the outpouring of God's grace 
God's grace is for you. Right? Jesus sat down with the woman at the well, and she said, he said, call your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're right, you've had five. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Right? He didn't do that to shame her. He, he wanted her to live in reality. He wanted to acknowledge where she had been. But he doesn't shame her. He loves her. And what does he offer her? He offers her grace, living water. He's like, if you come to me, I have transformation for you. Divorce can be, has been, is being, and will continue to be forgiven by God, which means that we as his body dare do no less. Can I just say that? We cannot be less forgiving than God. We're called to forgive just like him and restore just like him. So this morning, if you're here and you are divorced or have been divorced, I just want to tell you God loves you. You're not broken or damaged beyond repair. You're not called to live in hopelessness or destined to live in hopelessness. You're not cursed relationally and deemed to be uh, beyond ever having a healthy, righteous marriage. You are not beyond hope. God loves you. His grace is for you. Now, are there things God would require of you? Yes. We'll talk about that. But if you bring Christ your brokenness and sin, he will heal and restore your life. Is anybody awake? Anybody? Anybody? Is that good news to anybody? Let me read it again. If you bring Christ your brokenness and sin, he will heal and restore you to new life. Amen? If you bring Christ your brokenness and sin, he will heal you and restore you to new life. If you bring Christ your sin and your brokenness, he will heal you and restore you to new life. And we have so many stories in this church of that. I know so many of us look bright, shiny, happy people, but behind the scenes, we have lots of brokenness and pain that Jesus has restored and brought us to new life. That's the gospel, and the gospel's for everyone. So, um, what are what are the biblical grounds for divorce? And and this is getting into. And and again, I know you you might want to quibble with me. And that's fine. We can, we can quibble. But I, I, and I, am, I am no prophet. I'm not special. I'm a measly under-shepherd of the great shepherd Jesus. And I am just giving you what I believe the Holy Spirit's saying to us. But you can disagree. And that's okay. But I think you can go to the text and come to these conclusions that you have biblical grounds for divorce. And, and can I just say... The grounds for divorce do not mean that you have to divorce. There is no marriage beyond healing, beyond restoration, beyond hope, beyond miraculous intervention of God. Yet God also makes provision for us in these places. The first is adultery. Jesus clearly says that the Greek word is pornea which uh, lends itself to fornication, to visiting a prostitute. You could probably get there by pornography and sex addiction and things like that because we live in a different world, but Jesus uses a broad term that covers those things. And again, he's saying, um, it's interesting, he says Moses allowed, not Moses commanded, right? He's saying there are ways that this can be done. The second is abandonment. First Corinthians 7, it says, if, if you're a believer or is married to an unbeliever and they abandon you, you're actually free. He's saying you're free from that marriage. And he goes on in verse 27, 28. He says, are you bound to a wife? Then stay bound. Are you, are you not bound uh, to a wife? Then it's okay to remarry. 
he actually, he, he, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but he, he uses abandonment as grounds for divorce. The third uh, would be abuse and neglect. And this one gets a little trickier because abuse isn't like just right in the scripture where you can see it. And, and neglect is a really interesting one. In Exodus um, 21.10, it actually says, uh, and it's talking about when a man takes more than one wife. It says when he takes a second wife, it says this, if he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights, or, or some, some verses say her conjugal rights, which means her rights to intimacy and care and affection, physically, spiritually, emotionally. This is what a spouse um, is obligated to give to the other person. And it says in cases of these that, that someone is, is actually has grounds. Uh, it says, if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. She's released. And, and, and I just want to say, like, the church has, has in so many ways hurt people by, by not giving people uh, grounds for leaving for abuse, because it's just not clearly there. But there's, there's, there's things in the Bible that aren't clearly there that we can say with our eyes are clearly sinful. And I just want to say this morning, if you are in an abusive marriage and you're sitting here silently suffering, I just want to say run for your life. And we will help you. <laughs> we'll pay for your rent. We'll find you a house. We will do whatever it takes for you to get out of that situation. You do not have to suffer that for some righteous cause. You are not Jesus. He does not ask you to die on the cross. He died on the cross for you. Run. Get out. Cry out for help. These three things the Bible offers us. And it shows that the Bible, and therefore God, permits divorce under certain circumstances, but also forbids it under others. The Bible creates no space to divorce your spouse apart from biblical grounds. And Jesus answers this question clearly. They ask, can you divorce for any and every reason? And he says, no. Just clearly says no. And he's, he's answering a literal argument of the rabbis in the first century. Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai were the two head rabbis, and they argued about everything. Uh, Rabbi Hillel was a little bit more liberal. Rabbi Shammai was more conservative. Jesus mostly lined up with Rabbi Shammai with a more conservative line. But Rabbi Hillel would say, because of the passage in Deuteronomy, you, can, you could divorce your wife for any reason, any way she displeased you, even if she burnt your food. You were justified. Uh, literally, it says this in the Mishnah. I can send it to you. It's a book about this thick. I've got it in my office if you want to read it. It's light reading, and it just rolls through every rabbinical argument over centuries about God's law, and it's hilarious and sad at the same time. But they said, she burns your food, she displeased, and Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Now, can you still, in defiance of God's command, divorce? Yes. Can you be forgiven? Yes. Will you bear the consequences of a willful disregard for God's teachings and wisdom? Yes. So I'm not saying that God, uh, uh, by permitting and regulating divorce, he's inviting you to do that. But here's the thing. As Christians, we don't live in fear that by teaching what's clearly in Scripture and not going past it will result in more sin. We don't add laws to God's law to keep people from sinning. That's what Pharisees do. 
Pharisees say, actually, God, you didn't go far enough there. It's not super clear. What if people sin? God, I mean, it's just, that's not our job. We are not God. And here's what I want to say. If people want to sin, they are going to sin. We cannot stop them. If people want to get divorced on unbiblical grounds, we cannot stop them. And strengthening the prohibitions against it will do nothing to stop them. Adding to God's law only gives our enemy more ammunition to keep those who are broken from coming back to God. That's what it does. It actually does the enemy's work to add shame to their pain to keep them from running back to the Father's house. That's not what we're called to do. It makes us Pharisees. Pharisees think they can increase righteousness by increasing law, and it never works. So, let's keep going. I'm going to go back one. Remarriage. What does it look like? If, if those are the grounds for divorce, what does remarriage look like? And I think some of us have received this thing, and maybe you've heard it, that even if you are divorced, you're still married in God's eyes. Who, who's heard that? Raise your hand. Have you heard that? Even if you get divorced, you're still married in God's eyes. I challenge you to find that in the Bible. You cannot. It's not in there. I checked. But you can check if you'd like. Double check. It's just not true. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that you cannot end a marriage. Moses says, when you give her the certificate of divorce, you will send her out and you are no longer married. In Israel's eyes or in God's eyes. And, and I get, if you believe that, why it would make sense to forbid any form of remarriage. But I also believe it's, it's possible to uphold marriage as a lifelong covenant while also believing that it's a breakable covenant, breakable by human sin. And I think the Bible tells us this and reality confirms it. When someone is divorced, their marriage is over, the covenant is broken. And if that's not true, it, it opens up all sorts of weird stuff. And I've actually seen this where, where a woman who um, believes she's still married in God's eyes, the man has moved on, they have divorced, but he's still returning to her to claim some of his conjugal rights, and she feels like she's bound to give it to him because they're still married in God's eyes. I don't think anyone in here would say that's a healthy practice or a good practice or a true practice, right? When that thing is over, it's over, and here's, here's, here's the principle for remarriage. As I believe, all persons divorced within biblical bounds are eligible for remarriage. If you're divorced within biblical bounds, um, including if you're divorced from abandonment, where, and, and this is, uh, we'll hit this a little bit, maybe a little bit more deeply, but, but I've seen so many times lately where divorce happens where one spouse just decides they're done. They're done. And there's nothing, there's no counseling, there's no pursuit, there's no romance, and I would, I would qualify that as abandonment. And I would say you're actually clear for remarriage at that point. But I also want to say those who are divorced improperly or sinfully are eligible after repentance and restoration. Here's what I'd say. I'd say the grace of Jesus wipes everything clean. So even if you would say, I got divorced in the darkness of my mind, in my sin, or I was the one who broke the covenant vow through some kind of sinful practice and we divorced, I would say when you have repented and thrown your life on the altar of Jesus, the mercy, he wipes it all clean and you are free to start again. And I understand why some might disagree with this stance and I know many that I love and respect and treasure who would not agree with me there, but I believe it's justifiable biblically 
and I think it's confirmed by tradition and reason and experience. And it, and it begs the reason that if all remarriage after divorce was sinful, we would see the harmful effects of actual marriages, right? You would see it. If it was sinful, you'd see it in the next marriage because God cannot bless sin, right? Do we agree with that? God can't bless sin. So if remarriage after a marriage except for adultery was sinful in God's eyes, we'd see the proof. But we don't see that in reality. In remarriages where either one or both are formally divorced, I've seen many times extremely happy and spiritually powerful marriages. And again, the depending factor, that hinge that I've seen is whether or not true repentance has happened. Where true repentance has happened, I see God blessing things. Where that exists and where suffering and grief, the suffering and grief of the first marriage have been properly dealt with, I see so much good coming out. In fact, you could argue that because suffering, repentance, and humility are such key aspects of following Jesus, that when divorce has resulted in radical discipleship to Jesus, that they may actually be more likely to thrive in marriage than someone who has not been divorced. Oof. Jesus takes the sinful woman who's pouring out her tears and says, who loves God most, the one who's been forgiven little or the one who's been forgiven much? And they're like, well, clearly it's the one who's been forgiven much. So I just say this morning, if you've experienced this, you're actually qualified to love God much. Because <laughs> he's loved you so much. In your brokenness, in your pain, he's walked with you, he hasn't forsaken you, so you're actually prepared for so many good things if you'll follow him. So we realize that sin is heinous and brutal and awful and ugly and devastating, but God's grace is greater than the most heinous sin. And can I just say too, divorce is not the most heinous sin. It's awful, it's destructive, all those things, but it's interesting, it's never listed in any of the lists in the New Testament. Isn't that fascinating? When Paul starts going like, and here's the worst, and he just starts listing them out. So let's not make something that God doesn't make something like this. this. So again, I, and I, I'm not trying to downplay it. I really am not. So what does it look like for you to remarry? I, and I just want to say, if you're in here this morning and you've been divorced and you're considering this, I, I think these are really healthy questions for you to consider. Have you freed yourself of all past obligations? One is, are you actually divorced? And I just, I just want to tell you, before that thing's final, man, don't start new relationships. Don't pursue new things. Wait. Be patient under God's care. Do the work. Don't rush. Like we say it all the time right now, there's no way around grief that's only through it. That's it. You've got to walk through it. You cannot rush it. There is no microwave. There's no killer app. There's no life hack for pain and grief and trauma. You have to walk it, right? Are you free? Have you sought forgiveness, not only from God, but from your former spouse, children, relatives, others involved, right? So, so the first is I really believe the Bible would have you try to reconcile. But there is a point when that is over and, and you are free from that. You have tried to reconcile and you've said, God, I did everything I tried. I tried. Have you made every effort at reconciliation? Have you made every effort to right all wrongs? So far as possible, right? This, the, again, Jesus is not calling you to die on the cross. So you're gonna pick up your cross and carry it, but you are not the Messiah of your marriage. 
You cannot save another human being. If, if your spouse is willfully abandoning you, they want a divorce, you cannot stop them. There's nothing you can do. So some principles. I just want to work through these and then we will wrap up. Marriage. It's just foundational things. It's a divinely ordained institution. God created it. It's the first and most fundamental institution in creation. It's covenantal and binding It's a covenant of companionship. It's the place of true intimacy. And it's to conform to the model of Christ and his church. Your marriage is where God is working his way into your life. And it matters. And there's something mystical and supernatural about it. So we have a high view of marriage, right? We do. But we also don't worship marriage. Right? Jesus was never married. The Messiah, Lord, Master we follow was never married. So we don't worship marriage. We don't hold it up as an idol, but we also hold it in the right regard. We'd say then that divorce always stems from sin. It's not necessarily sinful. The process of divorce isn't always sinful. It always breaks a marriage it's almost never necessary. This is why I just want to hit again. Like, there is so much hope. If you're here this morning, you're in a difficult, really hard place in your marriage, do not give up hope. Everyone I counsel who's walking through this, I say, you fight until there's no more fight left. You fight and fight and fight and fight and fight until the last signature is signed. And when that's done, give it to God. That's it, right? But fight. It's legitimate due to adultery, abandonment, neglect, and abuse, and it's forgivable, even if it didn't go according to what we would say the scripture commands or what God desires. It it is not past forgiveness. We'd say this, that remarriage in general is desirable. It's possible for a divorced person. It's possible for a sinfully divorced person through repentance and forgiveness. It's possible only when all biblical obligations have been met, which those questions would help us with. And it's possible only when parties are ready and prepared for marriage. So, I'm going to invite the band to back up. I'm going to read a passage out of Romans. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Like, let's not get this mixed up. Christ did not die for the godly. He died for the ungodly, and all of us, apart from Christ, are ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this morning, as as we consider this and think about what does it look like to... um, to walk through this, I just, I know that so many of us have stories. So many of us come from divorced families and we bear the scars of that and the pain of that and we have our own opinions based on walking through it. Some of us in here 
We have broken marriages that we could not restore and save, and we're divorced. Some of us are fighting, fighting, fighting for a marriage right now. So here's, here's what I want for all of us in all of this. The first is grace. Just grace, grace, grace. Grace for the sinner, grace for the one sinned against, grace for the effects of sin on the, internet, on the innocent, <laughs> grace and grace and grace. And this morning, you have an opportunity to cast yourself on the altar of God and cry out for mercy. Mercy. Jesus, mercy, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what's interesting is, is that acknowledgement is, isn't to induce shame. It's actually to invite the healing of God to flood your life in wherever you're at, right? And I just, I just want to say, I refuse to lead a church that's afraid of grace. <laughs> that's afraid that grace might excuse sin or might give people permission. I just want to say, like, I want to be as gracious, as grace-filled as Jesus was. And what did he do? While we were yet sinners, he died for us. So I want us, as we look at our brothers and sisters, as we fight for our marriages, as marriages are gained and lost in this room over the years, we are going to go to Jesus and beg for mercy. Mercy. That's what we need. Mercy. The second thing I see in this passage is hope. Hope for those in difficult or broken marriages. It can change. But even if it doesn't change, hope for those recovering from divorce. Hope for those walking in darkness. Hope does not put us to shame. And the last would be love, that you would come to know how loved you are by God. You would come to know how loved you are by God. Especially, especially, especially if this thing represents a massive loss in your life. You would know how much God loves you how desperate he is for you to draw near to him, to depend on him, to run to him, to hide under his wings. He is shade for you, okay? So would you stand to your feet? Would you let me pray for you? Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray that you would pour out the love of Jesus into our hearts. I pray specifically, Lord, for those who have walked through divorce, whether they are um, children of divorce or whether they have been divorced or whether they're walking through divorce right now, would you pour out your love, Jesus, into their hearts by the power of their spirit so that they would walk without shame. Lord, I pray for those of us who have cast judgment or been harsh or unkind or caused unnecessary pain with our words or beliefs or attitudes, I pray this morning we would come to repentance to you, Jesus. We would come under the banner of your love knowing that we too are sinners saved by grace. And Lord, I pray that if that's us, you would give us some actionable steps about repentance, about what we need to do. If there's someone we need to call, let us make that call. If we need to schedule time, Lord, we would actually go back and just say, I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? 
Jesus, as we approach your table, I just recognize that your table is for sinners. That's who it's for. So that your body and your blood, broken and shed for us, might cover all of our sin and shame. So we come to you this morning and we ask that you would do what you promised, that you would save us, that you would rescue us, that you would redeem us. first loved us and we love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's elements in the front. Some in the back. There's a gluten-free station in that back corner over there. There's elements up top. But I, I just want to, I want you to, to meet Jesus today in, in his body and his blood knowing literally it was shed for this kind of thing. Jesus knew that our marriages would be difficult and many times might be broken by sin. He said, you know what I'm going to do for that? I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to die on the cross for you, for your pain, for your shame, for your sin, for your brokenness. So would you receive it this morning? So Trent's going to lead us. Come and um, partake as you feel led.